Hello friends, welcome to another episode of the TFC Audio Project. In this episode of Shop Talk, Mike and I discuss plantar fasciitis. When it comes to feet, this is a big one. It's a common issue a lot of people encounter and we really wanted to simplify it and help people understand how such a common problem is actually completely preventable and very simple to address when you actually understand what causes it um, and what you can modify in your life to avoid those causes. We go over what it is, the major variables that cause it, how it's currently treated, what you can do to restore pain-free feet, and also to avoid ever having the problem again once you get rid of it. This episode is sponsored by the TFC Footner Program. It's an online education platform we launched this year to help build a global network of people who understand the body starting at the feet and hips and can eventually help others resolve the problem through a platform we'll eventually look to develop called TFC Connect. The program is also designed to expand our TFC instructor team so that we can scale up our seminars and workshops and give more of them around the world each year. Applications for the February group are closed, but the next round of applications um, for the June group will open again in May. If you want to get on a notification list for that, uh, get in touch and we can put you on that. Module 1 is available online and it describes why we created the program, what's included, the costs, how to apply, and other relevant information if you're curious. If you want more info on that, visit thefootcollective.com, click on the Footner Program tab, and Module 1 is available for download and there's more info. Uh, this episode is also sponsored by our travel partner, Nanook Protective Hard Cases, which we use to transport gear to and from our seminars and workshops. They make super high quality cases in Canada. It keeps your electronics and all your fragile and um, precious gear uh, safe during travel in case your luggage gets tossed around. You never know what the airport guys are doing in the back. Um, and yeah, we use them. We're happy with them. You can get more info on that at nanook.com, N-A-N-U-K.com. That's it for sponsors. Let's get into it. I hope you enjoy the episode. It's the TFC Audio Project. It's a collective effort. Help people understand their bodies starting at the feet are the gateway for people to see that there's an issue. You know, a foot conversation is always a whole body conversation. Hey folks, Nick and Mike here, back for another episode of Shop Talk. And today our topic is going to be plantar fasciitis. This is a big one in the world of foot problems. Um, and our goal today is to completely unpack what it is factors that contribute to it, look at the research, talk about how to prevent it. Um, and, you know, if you or someone you know has foot pain, we want this podcast to be a powerful tool to just empower people to get rid of their problems by understanding their bodies. And we're going to start at the feet today. And this is, uh, we, you know, we did a good amount of research to figure out, okay, how best can we explain this? And so hopefully you enjoy this. Um, and, and we'd love to get your feedback because I think we're going to do one of these every four months or so just to kind of review how we're thinking of plantar fasciitis, how it's changing. Um, you know, all of this stuff is is open to criticism. We welcome logical, rational, science-based criticism. This is how we get better at understanding this and helping people better. So um, maybe a good place to start is what is plantar fasciitis? And I think a good thing I want to say, you know, one thing I want to say before that is plantar fasciitis is never a problem with your foot. It's a problem with how you're using your feet. I think people look at plantar fasciitis and are like, oh yeah, I got I got shitty feet. Or I got like it's a problem with the structure of my foot. It mm -hmm. is not. Your foot is designed to work perfectly. Your physiology is not the problem. The how you're using your physiology and your body is what is creating the problem. And the beauty is, is all that stuff is modifiable, and and you can change that stuff. So if you have plantar fasciitis, hopefully by the end of this you'll understand why we say this. But if you have it, you can get rid of it, and you can have it never again with the right information. So what it, what is plantar fasciitis? It's well, what's plantar fascia? The yeah, so the plantar fascia is like a thick fibrous tissue that originates at the, the medial calcaneus. So that's the heel bone. So it's like the inside of the heel bone that it originates in. And then it goes to the, the base of your toes. So it's like this tissue that's 
of basically the a outer, giant outer layer of tissue on your on your foot. Um, and what it does is it's there to help support the medial arch of the foot. That's one of its primary functions, but it also uh, participates in this this kind of sling like fashion in what's called the windlass mechanism. So so that's when when you're actually pro- trying to propel yourself forward in space when you're walking, it's going to almost tense up and create this elasticity and this rigidity uh, to allow you to walk. So windless me- mechanism, it participates in that. It helps support the arch, and it's just this band tissue. It almost it almost looks like when you look at a, a dissection, uh, an anatomy dissection, it looks like the Achilles almost just becomes one with the plantar fascia mm-hmm. as it wraps around the heel. So and they can, are continuous, those it's, two things. It's almost like a continuous structure with the Achilles tendon. So it's it's almost like it's got some tendon-like properties. And some of the mm-hmm. studies are actually looking at um, treating it like a tendinopathy when, when plantar fasciitis happens because it responds very similarly to uh, to tendons, right, in terms of loading and stuff like that, which we'll get into down the road yeah so it's a giant ligament now plantar fasciitis when you say itis it just means acute uh, or it means inflammation of so plantar fascia we explain what the plantar fascia is itis means it's irritated so it's an angry ligament in a lot of people and that's kind of a misconception too itis uh connotates uh, inflammation it's not necessarily an inflammatory thing mm-hmm. yeah so a lot of the studies are, are showing like histologically it's more of a thickening fibrosis uh some would label it like a degeneration the people who look at like actually tendons and tendon health um, but just know that it's not, it's not necessarily, um, it, it's kind of, it's, it's due to the load that's going through your tendon and it's more of like a fibrosis. Don't worry too much about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, uh, we like to label things in the medical field and a lot of times we label <laughs> things the wrong much. way. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And a lot of times plantar fasciitis is an umbrella term, um, used for pain on the underside of the foot. Right, mm. like if someone has, pain, it might not always be. I think a lot of people diagnose with plantar fasciitis. You could probably just call it shoeitis, um, and and that would almost like describe the problem better for a lot of people. But it's just general foot pain on the underside of the foot. Most frequently, it's at the front um, of the calcaneus, so your heel bone, the anterior lip, the front lip closest to your foot, is where the plantar fascia originates from, and that's a lot of times where people are going to get. Um, that pain, you know, it's the typical presentation is, oh, the first couple steps I take when I get out of bed are the worst. Or after sitting, like when you're off your feet and unloaded for a while and then you get back on your feet, that's where people are like, oh, the first few steps are always bad. Mm -hmm. It can also flare up. It's associated with um, a lot of like running Mm -hmm. uh, related injuries too. So because it acts like a spring too, the plantar fascia acts, it's part of the, you know, it it creates tension in the foot at push off through the windlass mechanism, but it's also a part of our giant, like it's a, it's a spring. It's a Mm -hmm. part of our spring system in our foot that you've got the spring ligament in the foot. You also have the plantar fascia that has this compliance that is able to let it absorb impact and then store that energy and re-release it. So yeah. it's part of the the foot is like a giant spring and the, and and that, the plantar fascia I, is part of it. That's why I like tendons. I was looking into uh, some of the research from Jill Cook and it's like that one of their primary functions is just that it's just that storing and releasing energy. Um, so working as that spring. And I think that's kind of the, the crux of why so many people have issues with it. Because if you look at the incidence of it, one in 10 people will develop it in a lifetime. So that's 10% of people. That's and, crazy. Um, there's a million, approximately 1 million office-based physician visits each year for heel pain. So pain, <laughs> little spot in the heel, painful, um, but, but it can prove to be very debilitating for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously very, um, very common according to these statistics. So that's one thing with the feet is like, like I played that, they have this indoor arena soccer. You put a giant air bubble around you, you smash into each other. It was a lot of fun, but I remember sp- sprinting super hard and smashing into one other guy that was that was 
he was like a fridge. He was pretty built. And I got flung away and I smashed my heel when I came down. And I had this like almost like significant, I didn't fracture, but I had a significant bone bruise on my calcaneus. That was debilitating because when you, when your locomotion, when your ability to walk and ambulate gets stolen away from you because it hurts, like there's a needle going into your foot every time you step, that sucks. And so for a lot of people, like I almost used that opportunity. Number one, that was a big eye opener for me to say, okay, I know there's no fracture there. So when I walk, I forced myself to walk through a bit of pain. I walked very slowly and it was within reason, but that's what I needed to do. I literally had to walk through pain to get rid of that pain because my brain was misinterpreting that there was a problem there. I think that's one of the, the problems with this too. We'll get to that later as well, but that people uh, are scared. when you get pain at that spot, then it changes how you ambulate. It changes how you walk. Yeah. Uh, it changes, um, it, it cre- increases that guarding. It, it promotes limping and all these kind of things, which further cause some of the things that would lead to it in the first place so it's that like vicious cycle problem yeah where you're unloaded so and what um, i was getting at there is i, I think it we, we're not taking plantar fasciitis lightly because if someone has a huge amount of pain underneath their foot that sucks and that's yeah. why that's why we're spending time on this podcast to really try and give people everything they need to get rid of it so um so that talks about anatomy pathology one in ten is a crazy stat that's probably a U.S. based stat, but I think it, it would be the exact same for Canada and probably most developed countries that we consume sitting in chairs and wearing poor shoes um, a lot. So, I mean, that's that's a lot of money being spent on something that's completely preventable. If people just understand how their foot works and just take away a lot of the shitty things that get us into trouble, um, because that's really what it's about more th- more so than adding a bunch of extra stuff. So, so when you look at risk factors. Um, the most concise review that I could find was 20, from 2014, um, and it was just risk factors for plantar fasciitis from uh, the Permanente Journal. Permanente. So, yeah. And uh, so it, they, they kind of went through a ton of studies, and they broke it down into anatomical factors, biomechanical factors, and then environmental factors. So so these were some things that they found that showed up in a lot of these studies that were associated with um, with plantar fasciitis, correlated with it. So You're a beast when it comes to research and literature. I love it because I hate doing that stuff. So I'm glad you do it. Um, so if you if you look at the anatomic factors that they listed, I mean, the first one we'll cover, they, they listed is, um, is obesity. So, I mean, that's one that we should just mention because if you are bearing uh, more load than you can handle, that can be a factor associated with an, something that's causing an overload. For sure. Um, and that delves into a much kind of bigger problem, bigger source of a lot of other problems. But yeah, yeah, I think it makes intuitive sense. If each foot is designed or adapted to bear a certain threshold of weight and you're double that weight on each foot, you're probably going to have overloading problems eventually. So that one makes exactly. sense. Um, so the other ones that showed up quite a bit were in the anatomical part, flat feet, they listed as one of the things. And then in the biomechanical part, overpronation or inability to control pronation. Okay. So those are two basically saying the same thing. It's, um, I mean, that describes a very deep problem in one word. Exactly. That can be multifactorial. But I think it's good that they're detecting that in the literature and they're actually acknowledging it. Yeah. And so what did that, and we can use that argument later to paint our picture better, but we're seeing that the same issues that we've talked about before, somebody with flat feet, somebody who's unable to control their arch, um, will need to work on factors that need to, that are needed to rebuild that arch. Mm -hmm. And these same factors needed to rebuild the arch, uh, as we'll also see are needed to offload the plantar fascia. So that's, uh, the other ones that showed up are shortened Achilles tendon. Um, and right behind that was uh, ankle dorsiflexion limitation. So and both... ankle dorsiflexion showed up in a ton of studies, both associated with like 
just tightness in the ankle, a tight yeah. ankle, restricted ankle joint, not getting the dorsiflexion you need out of that joint. Never exploring dorsiflexion, mm-hmm. wearing heeled footwear that puts you into the opposite position. Yeah, and so there was a study in 2015 that showed that the the two biggest factors biomechanically, and this study was just looking at biomechanical factors, were ankle dorsiflexion, number one, reduced toe strength, the toe flexor strength, so the, the, the muscles involved in pushing you off and propelling you forward. So those two things associated highly with plantar fasciitis. And those make perfect sense. If your ankles are tight, you have to move through your, you have to bear the load of movement through your foot. So whatever motion you don't have at your ankle, you're forced to steal from your foot, which puts tension on the fascia. And number two, if you have weak intrinsic foot muscles then the load that's and we're going to talk about this later when we talk about uh you know the role that the bony architecture and the muscles play but if your muscles can't hold up the arch and contribute to structural stability of the foot then all of that load gets shipped off to the plantar fascia which is not designed to to do so exactly those make a lot of sense too so that's that was the next one list is actually weak intrinsic muscles of the foot that they found in a lot of these studies um and weak plantar flexor muscles and muscles associated with push off again back to that biomechanical study of that propulsion. So there's weak plantar flexors, weak intrinsics. So once you add all of these things up, you're like, okay, well, there's commonly associated uh, problem is flat feet, inability to control the arts, weak intrinsic muscles of the foot, poor ankle dorsiflexion, weak propulsion mechanisms in terms of big toe flexors uh, and calf uh, propulsion. Um, all of these things are really, really kind of add up and paint a, a good picture. Yeah. So what's interesting about research is that there's not one study that kind of brings all of it together and says like, and paints a good picture of what it is, but you can pick and choose all of these different studies that show the same themes show up over and over and over mm-hmm. and say like, these are all associated with it. Okay. And so, it's a pretty consistent picture. Like that pattern is what those variables, those factors that you just said, like it's a pattern. It's exactly that. Like we all start to fail in the same way because we all do the same stuff that leads to that issue. And so, um, yeah, it, it simplifies things. I think that what your point before was, I think we should delve into that now. So all of these things we just... Well, let's talk about what doesn't work because that's okay. a good place to start. Yeah. Like what treatment are we doing right now? So someone, this is the status quo. Someone comes into a, a health clinic or a podiatry clinic or whatever, goes to see their doctor. I say, I got pain under my foot. It's near my heel. Doctor looks at them and says, okay, Hopefully, this would be ideal. I don't even think this is happening. It's, okay, your ankles are tight. You're overweight. We got we to gotta figure out how to control your weight a little bit better. Your ankles are tight. We got to mobilize your ankles and get them moving. Your foot is weak, and your foot is just this flat mead pancake on the floor. So we, gotta, we have to get your foot working like a foot's supposed to work again. That's what should happen. What should be happening after that is here, here is someone or here is a resource to teach you how to do those things. But what's actually happening is let's put you in an orthotic support. And so maybe that's a, it, like the yeah. first thing to talk about that doesn't work that's being done most commonly is orthotics. So that's one of the big ones. Um, there's if once you go through the studies, there's different things that are we can talk about a few of the things that are done as common interventions and the one that's, ones that are studied. Orthotics being one of the major ones, and oftentimes in these studies, orthotics are used in conjunction with other things too. So they'll mm-hmm. be like we studied orthotics plus a stretching protocol plus plus this, uh, and both groups will get orthotics or whatever, right? So. But what what we're finding is that orthotics are essentially a lot of studies are showing that all they do is they kind of differentially load the the foot. So they kind of offload it in a way because they're just putting pressure in different areas. So um, in the in the short term, they um, it can be can be you could say it can be useful for pain reduction and like mm-hmm. symptom reduction. But is that um, at the expense of actually making the true problem worse? Well, that that's another thing. And so this this study by 
Tama, Tamasebi um, basically said that, hey, if you're going to use orthotics, don't use them past three months. And, it, and they said that the effectiveness that starts to wear off after three months, and then there's no, no difference thereafter. And again, it's common sense. It's like you're not direct addressing all of these all the factors we just listed before are not being addressed. Yeah, none of them. So what's interesting is like once you look into the treatment, they, they're they noting, oh, here's all the factors associated with plantar fasciitis, but then here's the treatment. And it doesn't cover any of the – correcting any of the factors associated with plantar fasciitis. Mm-hmm. But but that's basically you're saying it can offer temporary relief um, but not, not recommended after three months as like the sole you know way to get this better. Um and also, there's no difference between store-bought and custom orthotics in this study as well. And we've covered that before. So, so if you're going to do that, just get a you know store-bought pair. Um, no need getting your $500 pair of custom orthotics because the studies show that there's no Man, so much difference. money is being spent on those. It's yeah. so cra- Canadian government and insurance companies in Canada. It's so insane that that is it is plain as day in the research to say that orthotics do not work if you want to use them for short-term temporary pain relief. Use off-the-shelf ones because there's no difference. Yet, mm-hmm. so many people are being prescribed and being covered for custom orthotics. And the analogy I gave someone the other day was like, okay, if you have so much back pain that you cannot walk and you're in excruciating pain all day, maybe you need to rest or or say you still need to move around. Maybe you need to go in a wheelchair, okay? Worst case, if you have a crazy back problem, and that will feel better. If standing kills and is excruciatingly mm-hmm. painful, sitting in a chair feels good, maybe you sit, okay? But you don't go in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. You only do it until the pain is under control. And the longer you spend in a wheelchair, the more work there is to do afterwards to actually address the movement and mobility and strength problem that created the problem in the first place. Yes. So it's like this double-edged sword. It's like we're putting people in wheelchairs for the rest of their life because of a little bit of back pain. We're putting people in orthotics for the rest of their life because of a little bit of foot pain. Mm-hmm. And I think we hit before this podcast even started, we were talking about how plantar fasciitis at its core, and this, you know, we'll clarify this as we go through the rest of this, but it's an overloading problem of the plantar fascia because yes. of an underloading problem of the foot and lower leg system. Yeah, an underhelping problem. Like you're you're not getting any additional assistance or support from all these other structures that were that we just listed. Weak intrinsic muscles of the foot, um, the the push off and propulsion muscles of the calf, the big toe, all the mm-hmm. intrinsics, so your ankle range of motion, all of these other things that help help support the arch directly. Um, the, these are not doing their job and they're not, not up to par. So you're, you're getting an overloading of this specific structure. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like, like and, we were saying, it's like an underloading problem in, in terms of a, it's a global underloading problem resulting in localized, but overload. a localized overloading problem. And you're not so, going to solve an underloading problem by further unloading the no, structure. That's not, like, the this way is, it's just a wrong direct. It's, it's, these people aren't evil. Like I always like to emphasize this. These people are trying to help the patients that they have and they look at if pain is the only metric they're looking at they're doing a good job but they're not looking at the bigger broader picture of everything is connected short term versus long term you should always be if you're in healthcare and you're thinking short term that's silly you should yeah. always be thinking long term how do i make a more functional independent human at the end of this yeah. um and i think most people just don't what's know what's sustainable yeah what's sustainable what can this like how do i never see this person again because how did this person never have problems again and mm-hmm. no one's thinking of that. No, I, I think a lot of people don't even know it's possible. I think a lot of people have no motivation to actually look into that and improve and get better because they're too comfortable with the fact that I make orthotics, I make good money, I pay my bills, I think I'm helping people. Why would I change? Especially if you're later in your career. People just, they don't well, want to change. This is all the relatively new stuff too. Like the field's really changing rapidly. True. So when you, it's, again, it's it's not, um, it, it's very complex and multifactorial. Um, and if you're even guided by literature, you'd, you'd be 
um, you'd be right in doing a lot of things that are technically not very effective mm-hmm. um, based on the, some of the research and how it's been done and all of the things that we've previously talked about. But if but you if, know this info and you're not changing, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Our, our goal and like our, the problem we're trying to solve is how do we get this information out to people, mm-hmm. healthcare practitioners, people, because it... You know, if the people become better informed, they go to the healthcare practitioners, the podiatrist, the physio, the chiro, whatever, and they inform them about what is like, it's, it's just funny how the patient gets educated and then the change stems, the grassroots changes stems from people becoming better informed and demanding better treatment. Exactly. If the other people are resilient to changing. So. Well, that kind of leads down. So other interventions for plantar fasciitis, that, that kind of relates to that. Yeah. So a common one in the research has been corticosteroid injections. So that's kind of, it shows up a lot and it's like, are those effective? And it's like, yeah, they they do show temporary relief uh, when treating plantar fasciitis. But again, it's back to that. Okay, well, you're just going to inject it with a corticosteroid. What are are you really doing there? Yeah. Know Uh, why you're doing it. Know why you're doing it. Okay, fine. Studies show it can be temporary relief, but that's not going to fix all of these factors that we we listed at the start. Yeah, it's, it's not going to factor. It doesn't all, do anything. It's all about that root cause, and you're not addressing any of those root causal factors that we listed. Yeah. Um, so you can kind of put that to the side. And I almost feel like the problem in and of itself is not the corticosteroid. It's the impression that the corticosteroid is a solution. Mm-hmm. Like people think, oh, my foot hurts. I just get a, I just jab it with a needle. Like it's I get a corticosteroid. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, I got to get every three months. You know, it keeps it under control. Inevitably, that person gets to a point where they're like, hmm, it's not really lasting three months anymore. It's like, well, duh, you're not addressing it. And I think the problem is leading people to believe that that is the solution, right? It's It can be used as part of a plan, but it, you better damn well make it clear that this is not solving the problem. It's not solving the problem. And in a lot of cases, it's actually worsening it because yeah. um, because the even the corticosteroid injection alone that's been shown to actually weaken tissue, repetitive cortisone injection. This is not good. And mm-hmm. um, anyone will tell you that in the medical field who does it. It's like, we don't want to keep re-injecting something with a Hopefully they tell you that. <laughs> um, so then no evidence for the support of a few things. Um, this study, this Cochrane Review studied 1,600 participants. No evidence for therapeutic ultrasound. Big no surprise. evidence for laser. No evidence for electrical current treatment. And there was conflicting evidence for shockwave therapy. So that's kind of shockwave is like almost is one of those things where it's like looked at. It's regarded as like one of the solutions. Mm -hmm. But again, all the studies show there's conflicting evidence. What does that mean? You're addressing the localized tissue, not the problem. It's the same shit. Same shit. So they're saying it might work better than the other things I listed. Ultrasound, laser, electric current. But um, they don't even know. And again, just looking at the the site of pain and we're missing the whole big picture we're not addressing causal factors um so so after all the literature reviewed in in 2014 basically this plantar fascia stretching protocol was like the the winner in all of it and and all it is is and just this is the other thing with research i looked at what they did and it was 10 seconds of a stretch 10 times three (laughs) times a day and all you did was like twist your foot and stretch the the plantar fascia out so you're you're trying to mobilize which okay that's fine yeah and and it did show some some relief better than all the things i just listed so if you're going to be doing something um stretching your like that that's great but it showed you that like okay now we're on to something we're starting to actually load quote-unquote load the tissue but but then really the results weren't astonishing the the real uh, breakthrough came in uh, after that when they showed that loading outperformed the stretching in uh, plantar fasciitis rehab. So they did a big review, Cochrane review. They found that stretching was better than all the other crap that costs way more money. Stretching is free. This protocol takes you three minutes. That's a, that is so ironic. The yeah. most effective thing shown after 
uh, including expensive orthotics, shockwave, ultrasound, all these super expensive treatments. And like, okay, let's talk about what no- someone would normally do. Let's talk about ultrasound, for example. If you go see a physio and the bulk of what they do is ultrasound and do shockwave, say you're spending 75 bucks per session three times a week for three months. Think of how much money that is. Oh, that yeah. is so much money. And all you have to do is stretch your frigging toes once During a day. During that same three-month period, which was yeah, tested. It's so crazy. So and then so they found that the stretching protocol was the winner out of all that. And then when was this next study done? It was actually done later in, in 2014 by Michael Rathliff. And they it, compared the stretching to loading. To loading. So okay. that same stretching how loading, protocol. How was the loading done? So loading was done every second day. So it wasn't – it was just done – gradually giving some time for for tendons to for the tendons and fascia to uh to kind of you know strengthen over time and Mm -hmm. accommodate but it was done every second day and they did uh three second concentric calf raise basically they first put a towel down and they they propped the toes up and they did a three second concentric calf raise so the upwards part of a calf raise nice and slow pause for two seconds at the top uh, and then a three second lowering phase of that the reason why they propped up the the toes especially the big toe is to is to just uh, simulate the windlass mechanism even more and wind up that tissue to load it more. But so simulating walking. Basically. You're simulating walking that push off that propulsion when you're walking. So you're getting you're getting a bunch of stuff involved with this. You're getting the intrinsic muscles of the, of the foot, those toe flexors that we talked about at the start, the intrinsic muscles of the foot we talked about. You're getting the calf complex and the supporting musculature of the lower leg all working to plantar flex you up. You're getting all that under control. You're also loading the plantar fascia in this. You're you're, you're simulating the the windlass mechanism. You're yeah, you're right. You're just simulating almost like a slow controlled push off when you're walking, um, you know, to up into a calf raise, right? So it, that's just it's simulating like loading it even more than that. And you got and it's barefoot, I'm guessing. And it's barefoot, so, so if toes barefoot. up on something, uh, barefoot calf raises. And what they did was every second day, uh, and then they started increasing load. So they increased the the amount of of reps. The person did max reps at the start, for, and then they just gradually increase. And then after I think two weeks, they started actually putting a backpack of weight on t- onto somebody. So they started adding uh, external load, uh, and then they started increasing the external load, etc. So it was progressive of loading um and all they did was that uh, every second day and, and that three months that it, beat the best that beat all the other oh yeah that were paying money for it it's it, um it showed significantly better results at three months than the uh, stretching protocol right and if you're barefoot you're also like if you assume that most people are wearing a heel lifted shoe which that's the reality 95 percent of people are wearing shoe with some form of heel lift whether they realize it or not if you're going barefoot technically you're putting them into more dorsiflexion than what they're seeing in an average day especially if you, and, oh, yeah. and i don't know if the towel lifted just the toes or the forefoot, but that exercise also puts them in more dorsiflexion than what they're in in an average day. So For that's sure. another thing it addresses. Exactly. You're, you're basically addressing everything with one maneuver. Now, I would argue that, okay, like that is that is powerful right there. But and there's that's way just one, better stuff you can do. That's just one, <laughs> exactly. Like that's, but what that shows you is just like a simple loading exercise yeah. done over time adding load in a progressive manner it competes all of this other stuff that we talked about <laughs> and all of this other stuff was was the only stuff that they were even researching before really yeah. um they were you know there's studies that did show some intrinsic foot muscle strengthening and all that kind of stuff but but that really showed some positive results so let's actually talk maybe we should talk about our views on it and maybe tie everything together and say let's okay what, what is the problem it. yeah let's talk about because it is a It's like anything else. And this is why this podcast exists, because we cannot, you have these complex multivariate problems 
that you can't simplify and distill out to a simple one sentence and picture on Instagram. So like mm-hmm. that, those are important because it gives people like little snacks of information. But this is the meal. This is unpack everything, every variable that we can think of that contributes to this pathology to show people that it's complex. And then at the end, we'll bring it back in to make it simple of, okay, what are the low hanging fruits and the simplest things you can do tomorrow or today to start addressing this problem? So, so let's talk about what causes plantar fasciitis. We'll, we'll piece together a little argument based on all of this research that we just went through based on all these these causal factors right so what what causes it we've already listed all of those causal factors so but let's unpack let's, some of those factors. let's unpack them a little bit more and then tie it together in in terms of more of a logical argument um as to why this would happen right so okay, so the first one obesity that makes sense we don't talk much about that if you yeah. we did a podcast i think episode number 15 was about nutrition you got to figure out your food situation and have a better relationship with that and figure out how can I get back to a healthy weight and lose a bunch mm-hmm. of this excessive fat that I've accumulated because that's also overloading every joint in your body. But, you know, the last spot to get loaded is your foot. So mm-hmm. that one we don't really have to unpack any further, but that's a factor. So the other ones that showed up a lot, the, the flat feet and the overpronation and the weak, let's tie them together, flat feet, overpronation, weak intrinsic muscles of the foot. Okay. Um, and we will unpack those a little bit. So... When you look at all those three things, those are all things we've talked about in previous podcasts. It's in an terms unloading of, problem. It's an unloading problem. You're never fighting gravity. You suck at fighting gravity, basically. Well, yeah. So, <laughs> so you're you're not able to support your arch with all of the structures and mechanisms uh, and musculature that are involved in supporting your arch. Mm-hmm. So that can be related to, as we talked about, all the way upstream. At the hips. Well, let's start at the hip. That's probably... So if you spend most of your day sitting in a chair with your hip in a flexed neutral rotation position, you're going to lose the ability to optimally organize that joint to generate torque, whether with the muscles or even having the joint mobility to, to access that position. Torque at the hip is what generates the right position downstream at both your knee and your foot. So, you know, to organize the foot into a nice arch position, you must have a functional hip. If you don't have a functional hip, good luck getting the foot in the right position to even allow a contraction of the intrinsics to hold it there. So the the hip is a big one. It's a double whammy too, because not only are you sitting, um, not only are you getting that happening, but you're, you're unloaded during that time. So if you think about, like humans aren't meant to be unloaded that much. If you're sitting in a chair for most of your day, sitting in the car, we've already talked about that, just... That's a lot of time spent not on your feet and not loading and creating imbalances. That's yeah. the other thing too. Creating like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's double whammy. So yeah. so it's it's like time spent unloaded, um, and and then when you get back on your feet, all these supporting structures that help you uh, just just have resilience to to buffer this load um, are, are just not there for you, right? So building those up is key. So it, so that's the hip and. and and that's kind of, they don't even talk about anything like that in, in the research. They're talking yeah. more kind of lower leg down, which, which makes sense. But, but, but it needs to be considered. Like it's part of, it's a yeah, big part of the problem. It's a big part of why people have the flat feet, the overpronation and the, um, all that, which is even which overweight. Does. If you like, obviously yeah. being overweight is more about eating too much of the wrong stuff. But it's also a, a side effect of sedentary lifestyle, which mm-hmm. is, a, you know, you spend too much time sitting, not moving, not on your body. And when we say loading, all we're talking about here is loading against gravity. We're not Just even talking being, about, we're not talking about weights. Being talking on about, your feet. Yeah, yeah. Being on your feet. Like walking. Moving or standing. Yeah. Ideally walking. Wa- walking around. So walking around. If you if you take that logic, just walking around and pushing off normally through your through your toes, using that natural windless mechanism, propelling yourself, creating a rigid lever with your 
with your foot, um, you know, using that whole uh, chain, that kinetic chain that propels you forward, the triple extension, just it's walking around normally is, is really, that, that's, that's what loads us regularly. Mm-hmm. If we walked around four to five hours a day, um, we would be quite strong in terms of just that, that mechanism, right? The resilience mm-hmm. of the tissue that causes us to propel ourselves forward in the space, but we don't. So, so I think that's, that's that covers a, the hips. The big, so if you got yeah. dysfunctional hips, that's at the end when we talk about what you need to do to actually address this problem. We'll talk about the low, the easy stuff to do with regards to your hips. The 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 you know the gems that we find are the most effective and, and the easiest for people to understand. We'll talk about them at the end, but that covers the hips. Now let's talk about the feet because the feet get a double whammy. If you're sitting, your feet are unloaded. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of people, if you're standing, number one, if you have orthotics, but number two, if you wear, you know, most conventional or current shoes athletic shoes will have some sort of arch support so if you're mm. even if you're standing now so if you're sitting you're unloaded if you're standing your feet are still unloaded because they're be- the arch is being supported and there's no need to recruit the natural machinery in your body to hold up the arch because it's being supported so your feet are basically just always unloaded unless you're barefoot and we know really well that most people are never barefoot so that's another part of the problem and and then you've got the combination of that plus uh, we talk about that limited ankle dorsiflexion. So we've got the combination of that. People in heeled footwear, people's ankles not moving uh, as they should. And I think a lot of that is just, again, not exposing your ankles to end range a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're walking, when you're, when you're getting into a squat, anything that involves dorsiflexion, we're just not exposing our ankles to dorsiflexion. So, so then that's one of the big things too. So you've got the, the foot intrinsic thing, the flat foot, which we've really dove deep into before. All those factors that cause... Um, an arch to be there for you and that helps support your arch are not doing their job. And never being asked to do their job. Yeah. And I think even on the topic of shoes, another thing that we talked about is when you combine an elevated heel and a toe spring. So a toe spring is when you put a f- shoe, and uh, most shoes when you put flat on a flat surface and you look from a side profile, the toes are elevated above the ground. And the reason that's there is because most shoes are so rigid, they don't actually allow your big toe or your toes to extend. And because they don't allow that articulation point, they have to create kind of this rockered ramp at the front of the shoe to allow you to roll off the shoe or else it's very hard to walk. And what that does, elevated heel, toe spring at the front, putting your toes into extension, you're literally winding up tension in the fascia at all times because of that position. And then That's also, a big part. And you're not doing that normal propulsion mechanism. You're not propelling yourself forward. Yeah. And that shows you... You're farming it off to the shoe. The, those exactly you're firming that off so you're, you're not having to and when you take people's shoes off in the clinic i'll often look at them walking you're, you're gonna see you're not seeing this this natural propulsion their, their toes aren't pushing themselves forward in a lot of cases especially the cases where people have foot problems ankle problems mm-hmm. things like that um so i i try to just get people and coach them to just just learn how to push off the ground and it's this weird thing and, and a lot of people aren't used to that and they haven't felt that in a long, long time well even walking with your feet straight if you walk with your feet like a duck externally rotated like good luck getting a good push off from mm-hmm. that right i think that's even part of the problem people adopt this and whether it's because their big toe gets stiff or their ankle gets stiff and so that's just the natural position they adopt because they find it easier to walk if you can't walk through dorsiflexion and big toe extension walking in external rotation allows you to to, to kind of sidestep those restrictions if you walk like that you're promoting kind of this valgus collapse and like collapsed arch every step you take Mm -hmm. so that's another one it's like walking with your feet straight and and initially i didn't think that that was a good thing to say because everyone can walk with different degrees of external rotation but daniel lieberman says if you look at the mechanics of how the foot works 
walking with straight feet gives you the best leverage mechanics to take advantage of how we're built. Yeah. That's it's just how you yeah. pro- propel yourself forward. Like all all of this if if we're making things complex, it's because we're diving deep into the biomechanics. Essentially, you just want to be pushing off normally as you walk. And and people get that really quickly when you coach them, and then they can work on anything that's preventing them from being able to do that. And when you take off their shoes, that's a big part. Yeah, so when they take off their shoes, um you you they work on extending their hips and just propelling naturally. They, they'll get it. It just it takes it can take like 5-10 minutes sometimes just to coach somebody and they're like, "Oh, that feels different." Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Right? So and it so clicks with them. Like it's natural, yeah. right? You just it's almost like some some easy cues, a couple things to open up joints and just like talking to someone and getting them moving. Like you engineer their environment after doing a bit of opening up some joints and they're like, oh, that feels, it feels weird initially because it's different from the way they normally move. But then they're like, oh, okay, this feels kind of normal now. But again, that, that common theme and all that is oftentimes it's the first time they've been coached when, uh, when they don't have their shoes on. So, mm-hmm. so their shoes are affecting their ability to kind of do this normally with that toe spring, with the heel. Um, the fact that their toes are often crammed in together is not allowing their, their, their big toe and all their toes to just push off naturally. So you're just putting this thing that's preventing you uh, from doing that as well as you would be able to do otherwise, um, combining it with the other factors there. So, and we even talked about it before, when a shoe ends in a point and crushes the toes together, especially that big toe, the action that you that the big toe flexor would normally do to help propel you and push off forward that muscle action now turns into a muscle action of pulling your toe even more crooked not pushing off Mm -hmm. through the big toe so it's almost like like part of me thinks that some of that propulsion might even be inhibited because activating that big toe flexor actually just pulls that big toe more crooked and doesn't actually create a good rigid lever to push off on. So it's like, are you actually inhibiting? Not only do shoes not allow you to extend your toe or use your toes, but they might actually be turning the normal motion of what the toe needs to do into something that makes a, a, that worsens the pathology and does not do its intended purpose at all. And then if we get even deeper into that, uh, the connection with the hip again, as you're pushing off from your big toe, that's where that triple extension should happen. So it's like that that big toe to glute connection that we always talk about. Um, you know, it's it's a double whammy because if you're if you're missing hip extension, if you're sitting um, and you're and you're really stiff in those hips and you don't have the ability to really extend well, um, combine that with you're not propelling well from the floor. It's also that kind of combination of the two because they kick in at the same time it's to just naturally, yeah. So and all of this is just it's all biomechanics and it's all sounds complex, but it's really not. It's just, we're trying to get people to walk a little bit more naturally. That's like, we can break it down into that. And I think that gate is one of the major ways in or windows in where you can help restore somebody's function. If you just talk about these things, you don't have to, you don't have to go so deep in the biomechanics. You just say like, okay, when we're walking, we're supposed to be pushing off and, and, and trying to follow through with our hip. And you'll, you know, you'll, you can cue some hip extension, cue some propulsion. And it's like, and then they feel it. It's all about when they feel it. They're yes. like, "Oh, cool, yeah, that feels good." That's there. Oh, I wasn't even thinking about that. Mm-hmm. I've never felt my glutes when I walked. I've never thought about pushing from my toes. Um, and then it clicks. And then they go do that. And then they're starting to load with that normal mechanism. Another right? body aware of what they should be feeling when they're walking. Yeah. And everyone walks. I mean, you turn walking into an exercise that's conscious, and you actually think about how you're doing it, and you're improving certain elements of your body, and you're tuning your software to be better. Um, to be more natural, like that's very powerful for a lot of people. Oh, for sure. I just want to go back and talk about this, this because um, I I used this explanation the other day, and I, I don't know if it was good or not, but we'll see. Back to the whole thing about your hips align the bones of your foot. So I was listening to a podcast recently, and one thing that was said is that there is no bone 
in your foot shaped like an arch. There is no single bone shaped like an arch. It is a group of bones that organize together into a series of arches. The one that we're most concerned about usually is the medial arch on the inside of the foot. It's a group of bones that get organized in, into a series of arches that are held together in position by muscles. So if you make the analogy of a bricklayer um, creating uh, a bridge, that's an arch made of, sto made of stones. The bones are the bricks, the muscles are the mortar holding them together, and the hips are the stonemasons. So if the stonemasons that are in charge of placing the stones okay, into an arch, into a nice, stable, rigid structure that, that bears load evenly, if the masons aren't there to organize the stones into an arch, you cannot create an arch. If your hips do not have either the software, the muscle activation patterns, or even the mobility to organize the bones of your foot into the arches, the mortar is useless. The muscles are useless if you cannot organize into a good position that they can fire in and hold things in place. Yeah. And I think that clear, for the person that I explained that to, they were like, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, yeah, if your foot, it's all about that positioning, like everything above the foot places the foot in a position where it can then work like a foot. Yeah. So, so it's... And what I was trying to get at there is by neglecting to mention the hip, when we talk about all the research in terms of correcting foot position, stuff like that, I really think we're missing out on one of the chief elements of correcting feet, right? You can mm -hmm. talk about strengthening intrinsics and you can do all that kind of stuff. And I think that that alone is clearly helpful, right? Like just doing calf raises with a towel on your foot was shown to be more effective than all the other crap that we're paying lots of money to do and it's still yeah. being done. But if we talk about the hips just a little bit and get people to understand that having flat, um, you know, overpronated feet that have no, con no control to be able to resupinate and, and, and organize themselves is really an indicator of the bigger problem up soon at the hips that everyone seems to have because we all know we spend too much time sitting in chairs. So I think just well, it's getting a major people part. to understand it's a, it's a bigger problem than just a localized foot problem. Yeah. Um, well, it's a, it just ties into the research does say that it just says it indirectly because yeah, if you, true. if you're, it says that a lot of these um, most plantar fractures associated with these factors and the hip is a big factor in, in, in being able to actually, control your arch place your foot where you want it i guess um, they are saying that they're saying flat feet and overpronation exactly are a risk factor so, and if you just backtrack that a little and and look at okay well why are people overpronating um and and having this kind of i don't like the term flat foot because it's anyway but it, you're right it's so they are mentioning in, indirectly indirect all we're doing here is looking at the research and saying okay well this is what it's all saying um, but this is also what they're not saying they're not saying they're not uh, talking about the factors that would allow somebody to help rebuild that arch and all of the things that help support that arch because i think if we kind of simplify it back to to its core again you said that the plantar fascia being overloaded Sorry about that, folks. We cut out uh, the friggin' memory card on the uh, recorder, got filled up, but we're back now. Um, and I'm sure the wizards at uh, behind the TFC Audio Project there at TFC Media will splice it together. So, um, what we were leaving off on the fact that it's a overloading, localized overloading problem from a systemic unloading, underloading problem. Yeah, right? and so the the plantar fascia was just being overloaded, um, and then. It, basically all the things that were being said in the research is that all these other factors are involved. And, and uh, these are all things, a lot of these things are arch supporters as well. So the, the fact, the, uh, the inability to control your arch, uh, the weak intrinsics of the foot, the, the weak propulsion muscles of the calf, the big toe flexor and all that. So all these other factors that are just, they're just there to help support your arch. All right. of this stuff supports your arch. 
But when and the less support you yeah. get from that stuff, the more support you're required to demand of your plantar fascia, which yeah. is not designed to support your whole body weight all the time. That's why it gets so it gets overloaded, irritated. It gets overloaded, and we just need to figure out how can we start loading everything up again, not just the plantar fascia, yeah. so we can support things. Uh, and how can we do it in a way that doesn't that abides by physiological principles that doesn't flare things up out of proportion so this is where kind of it really is different for everybody in terms of exactly how we'd approach it but there's some main principles and guidelines that i think we'll go over now in terms of where where treatment might start and then some goals to work towards right and part of it is just understanding pain framing pain it's like okay if it's really sore one day you did too much you should do less the next time you work on it and it's like if people know how to self-regulate then the whole conversation of not flaring things or of you know having to go back to your physio because something hurts it's like it doesn't mean stop everything and you need to go back to your physio it just means like think of what you're doing how much you did of it did you do too much were you on your feet a lot more than usual did you do some sort of physical activity that was hard on your feet like did you go play an hour of ultimate on top of doing your exercises maybe that's the source of your flare-up so and avoiding when once we get into the loading avoiding the high speed provocative loading um that tendons actually respond um, are meant to do uh, is something in the short term that should be watched out for and that's why these these loading studies are all done very slow and controlled Mm -hmm. because something the same exercise can be very provocative or not depending on just the speed you do it at if you're jumping and doing calf raises that's a way different story than if you're slowly going up three seconds down three seconds yeah so and again that's all tied into that pain you just talked about is is something really painful when you're doing it does it leave you with three days uh, misery because your your feet are flared up we just got to really this is where it's different for everybody but i think let's just start with um so what are elements. some of the goal goals um throughout the process and then what are some some things that ge- we can generalize um without generalizing too much because we understand mm-hmm. that everybody is completely different and in our in our system is very 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 complex so yeah and um, let's just say like i truly believe that in future like eventually tfc is going to create an app that'll combine everything that we currently offer whether it's event registration or purchasing footwear whatever it is podcasts i want it all to be in an app because it's nice for it to all be in one place but i truly believe that with a good program that's that's a combination of education and advice on what you need to do in terms of mobilizations or or, or, um, you know self-treatment or self-maintenance and the footwear that you need to wear you can literally solve the foot health problem and cure plantar fasciitis with an app which is pretty cool and it will will, i think it can happen eventually it's gonna Mm -hmm. be a long way till we design that but um so how do you treat plantar fasciitis the primary thing in my opinion is getting people to understand what the heck plantar fasciitis actually is instead Mm -hmm. of giving just saying oh do this stuff without actually you know you say you have plantar fasciitis you have some weird word that you don't understand this is what you need to do you give people that approach and they don't know what's going on if something goes wrong they have no idea how to rationalize it how to understand it to know whether that pain is a bad pain or 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 pain that is makes sense to be there so the first thing is get people to understand and this is what this podcast is for is just educate people on what plantar fasciitis is plantar fasciitis is what are the contributing factors and just understand the mechanisms by which this localized irritation happens so Mm -hmm. first thing for treatment is understanding it educating on not only the pathology um not only on the anatomy uh, on the actual pain on the presentation 
um, on reasons why it's happening, yeah, on, what are the on where we need to go with all of this, uh, on potential causes. So these are all factors, and this is all going to go hand in hand with what the, the specific person tells you. This is where an individualized approach is always what's needed. So, you know, the person comes in and says they, they have a sitting job. They wear uh, dress shoes all days. These are all factors that we might, we got to piece together the person's environment. Mm-hmm. We got to piece together all of these things. And what's actually doable, right? Like if you, that person comes in and see you, you're like, okay, no more dress shoes ever. Don't sit. It's like, that shit, that's terrible advice because mm-hmm. that's not actionable. It's not realistic. It's like, what are small strategies to get the ball rolling. What's the first domino you got to flick to get it going in the right direction, get the person to one, see results, right? Because unless they're actually seeing results and they're seeing number, like the easiest way to see results is pain. If you affect the root cause, you do get rid of pain. Mm -hmm. Eventually, if you just target pain, you don't get the root cause and you always have this revolving door of pain. So when they start to see, they need to see results. They need an actionable start, Mm -hmm. right? And, and I think a good one for a lot of people is three things, spend less time, in like educate people about how the footwear contributes to the problem spend more time barefoot or wearing functional footwear and and i would say caveat see how it feels to spend time barefoot um, because that's within your tolerance that's where we again the goal being to be able to walk um walk sustainably with with bare feet to be able to train bare feet if if you choose to mm-hmm. or walk in in a barefoot style shoe but see how it responds to that at first yeah. because that's kind of one of the things we want to work towards um, and for some people that might yeah you're right that's that's a good caveat to put in there because some people i think a lot of people that say oh i can't spend any time barefoot because it hurts can spend more time barefoot than what they think right that example of you get somebody in that's yeah. like oh, i can't spend 10 minutes barefoot my feet start to hurt you assess them in the clinic you get them walking around for an hour barefoot for the whole assessment and at the end you're like you just spend an hour barefoot how do your feet feel and they're like oh they actually don't feel very bad it's like you, you got to be honest with yourself and not be scared to go barefoot because it might have hurt in the past right mm-hmm. and we don't discount that but doing it responsibly and spending okay maybe you spend five minutes barefoot and after five minutes you got to put your indoor your quote-unquote indoor shoes back on and then the next day you do 10 minutes and mm-hmm. then maybe the next day you try 20 minutes your feet hurt so you go back down to 10 minutes and during that like, time too when they're in the clinic we're often getting them to actually do things actively mobilize their feet too so even even some soft tissue work. well that was the third thing i was gonna yeah. say is like get out of bad shoes spend time barefoot or in functional shoes and then do some basic mobility work on your foot and usually just lacrosse ball and some some toe spreaders on a regular basis like those are that's powerful and everyone wants to debate what does soft tissue work do and all that and again that's kind of besides the point i look at it as just mobilizing your your foot and all the tissues associated with foot and desensitizing Um, desensitizing if you think about are a natural foot, like when you're walking around at the cottage, you're walking around over river rocks, whatever you're doing, your foot is naturally getting basically smushed and mobilized and put in different positions. Mm-hmm. So if you think about a shoe that's stuck in it, or a foot that's stuck in a shoe all day, or that's solely on just flat artificial surfaces all day, all we're trying to do is just mimic it just moving, just moving around, yeah. moving the bones around. I, I don't even care what the mechanism is. We're just mobilizing everything. And and it happens to uh, often relieve the pain um, or help relieve the pain in the short term. Again, that's not the solution. The solution is not to have to smash your foot with a uh, lacrosse ball for the rest of your life. That is one window in there where you can start to mitigate some symptoms and start yeah. to mobilize everything under the foot. Yeah. Another thing is weaning, just like you're trying to wean away from rigid, stiff, supportive shoes you're also trying to wean away from orthotics so the same the same thing applies if you're in orthotics 
don't just ditch them right away. You you wean them off just like you wean them on, right? You spend gradually more and more time with the orthotics on. Let's try and spend gradually more and more time with the orthotics off and be mindful to self-regulate if symptoms come back up. So if it starts to hurt, put the orthotics on. You know, like people need to be better at understanding why pain happens, what, you know, the mechanism behind it. And just knowing that a little bit of pain is a signal to tell you how you should be guiding this program of getting your feet stronger again. It is not saying you're doing something wrong or you need to take painkillers or get a shot. Like that, that's a big part of demystifying what pain is and, and the fact that it's a signal to, to guide you rather than something to be avoided or something to be scared of. That's important through this whole thing because that, that takes care of a lot of the it depends from person to person because if they can self-regulate and troubleshoot this and, and, and get pain sometimes but know what to do with that signal, then that's that helps them. Oh, exactly. And I think that kind of leads into one of the goals that because everyone's different, we, we we want to start addressing these factors that that are all congruent with plantar fasciitis. So these some of these key mobility restrictions, um, some of the, the the reasons why an arch might be, quote unquote, flat uh, or unsupported. We want to start addressing these and that'll be different for everybody. Maybe it's a hip mobility issue. Maybe they just need to learn to create torque. But I think the if we generalize, we would say we want to start the process of loading, starting to load. Yes. So we, we whenever we can, gradually, we want to start that process. And again, that changes for everybody. And it might not be the, the first uh, thing you do. You might have to address other factors. We always use the protect, correct, develop. So you might have to more so protect and start to you know do some of this tissue work. Uh, just let it... Modify your footwear. That's modify easiest your footwear. It's like spend a bit, a bit more time footwear. barefoot. This is kind of the start of it. And even just by you spending more time barefooted, that's starting the process of loading uh, your foot and other structures associated with it and again a little bit of cueing and coaching on um, how they should be just propelling from their feet just getting these processes working Um, and then whenever you can start to actually load things up more um, specifically I would say and if we point back to that study by by Rathliff um, something like that now it doesn't have to be that exercise but any something that just starts loading them when they when they can without really flaring them up is where we want to start going after that and like gradual loading is i think everyone intuitively knows if you go to the gym and you want to build pec strength okay you start to bench press you don't go the first day and try and bench press 300 pounds right you go and you do the bar a few times and then you put 10 pounds on each side and you do that once it gets easier, you put 20 pounds on each side. Like you gradually progressively load the tissues, allow it to heal and recover, and then you can overload it more, and that's how you get stronger. So the first step, if you're never loaded, if you're always sitting in a chair or you're wearing supportive shoes that don't load your feet, the first progression, the first step of loading your body is just stand up barefoot. That's a mm-hmm. load on your body. That's a load on your feet. And maybe, you know, just like you can't do a million reps of the bar with 10 pounds on each side, you're, you're going to be limited by how much of that load you can you can sustain initially when you're really weak. Same thing. You can't you're not going to be able to spend five days straight completely barefoot against gravity if you're never used to being loaded. So mm-hmm. load yourself responsibly. Start with just gravity and then you can build up from there. Right. And you can build up to actually using weights to load your feet. But the starting point is just build a tolerance to being barefoot against gravity. That's it. It's really the the whole goal with all of it increase your tolerance to load and that's what all the the studies will say in terms of tendinopathy studies and tendinopathy can be is very highly they compare it to plantar fascia to a tendinopathy it responds very similarly uh so it's just can we increase somebody's tolerance to load 
Mm-hmm. That's kind of if we had to sum it up in in one goal, that's that's how we do it. And and again, it's multifactorial how we might do that because maybe increasing their tolerance to load is addressing the the structures that help support the arch, your your hips involvement in supporting your arch, all of these other things that might be more specific to the individual. These are going to help them in the process of increasing their tolerance to load, but getting all these supporting structures online uh, and just building up that uh, that strength and resilience thereafter. So, and that's where the individuality comes in because we're covering like we're mentioning, uh, you know, maybe five different var- five different primary variables that can affect someone's ability to organize their foot and, and could contribute to something like plantar fasciitis. Those five variables, a lot of times, are going to be consistent from person to person. But the priority order of which one of those are the most important ones or the biggest contributor for each person is going to, sw- is going to change, right? Because the person that footwear is the bigger problem is going to have a different low-hanging fruit of where to start tackling this from than the person who sitting all day is the main problem. But both exactly. those people can still start to spend. That's the beauty is the actual algorithm of where do I start is mobilize the foot, reclaim mobility and, and, and the ability at least of the muscles to fire and spend time loading your feet against gravity. Mm-hmm. Like That holds consistent for pretty much everyone. And then the extra supplements that that person needs to make quicker progress you know for one person it might be hip mobility work for another person it might be mobilizing the foot more. and it might be environmental it might be um you know fear avoidance behavior so there's all these other factors that play into it and again that's where we always suggest like find a, a therapist that can work with you to address things if need be um, because we're giving you the the basics and kind of the global goal of all of this but but all these specific factors that play into somebody's pain and all of, and their dysfunction um, are again the human system is the most complex system that we that we know of yeah, we understand nothing um, about it so so all these variables, some uh, very some, somebody very skilled that can help you in the process of getting through this is is always a good option when you're, mm-hmm. especially if it's something that's been been present and you're trying different things and it's not getting where you need to. Um, maybe find something that that somebody that can help you, but also know that all the information we went over at the start, the things that don't work in the research, the yeah. the modalities, the uh, the cortisone injections, all of these other things, the the long term use of orthotics. Yeah, don't fall into that. Yeah, you just take that information and use that wisely when you're looking for somebody to help you with this because you you want to know what you're looking for and where you need to be how do you how you get there might be different for everybody and it probably will be so and if you and the more you learn about your body and how it works and and stuff like this contributing factors what you can do to kind of work on it the less you have to rely on those people like this is the 75 to 85 percent the last 25 to 15 percent is what you need someone to work with you for and a lot of times that's really just to speed up the progress you're still going to get it just requires a lot more patience if you're going at it alone and a lot more kind of experimentation. If you go to someone, like for example, the way I tell people of why we can treat people effectively is because we've experimented on way on ourselves first, relentlessly, then on patients, and we've basically filtered through what works and what doesn't. We can guide you on all of these yeah. parameters, and we can yeah. just take out a lot of time and, and mistakes that you're pro- that you might make on yourself because you're you don't like it's just not something you do every single day. And by we, I, I we mean healthcare providers, physical yeah. therapists, yeah, chiropractors, yeah, exactly. anybody involved in treating this pathology we're talking about. That's where it's like we've seen the patterns. Um, you know, somebody who's skilled will know what works and will know. 
it's, it's all about pattern recognition, right? Because you, yeah. you see if somebody responds to it and you adjust accordingly. And, and somebody who's going through it for the first time, it's a, it's a huge experiment, right? Yeah. Um, if they just go at it themselves. So there's always benefit to that. But just know that you have more power than you think. And the, the goal with regardless is, is you will be doing, you will be fixing yourself. You will be doing all the implementations. You will yeah. just be guided just along getting the way. a little bit of guide. And, it, and the harsh right? reality, and this is like real, is that if you put into effect and you understand and can wrap your head around everything that we've talked about in this episode, you are better informed and will be more effective than 75% of healthcare practitioners out there right now. I'm confident in that number treating foot dysfunction. I think that's even an underestimate. Yeah. You know, like it's only, uh, and and part of that is just because this is very recent and new stuff, right? mm -hmm. Like it's literally taken us two, three years to even troubleshoot and, and feel confident that this gives results because we had to see a certain amount of people go from pain and dysfunctional to no pain and more functional in order to be like every person you treat and you get positive results is a reinforcement to say okay this actually works yeah and one right. and st- like the so lit- the literature supports it too though like that that uh yeah you're right it's just loading like loading that's what we need to and it makes it do it to sense. increase somebody's tolerance to load and that's what we need to do with this type of pathology and with many other types of pathologies we need to increase somebody's tolerance to load so loading is always a good solution um loading in a responsible way um in a way that's going to promote the the right pathophysiology, the right response, the right healing response, build up strength, build up resilience, build up uh, capacity, build up confidence in yourself. Mm-hmm. All of these things, um, changing lifestyle factors along the way that would prevent you from being loaded, all of these things. But uh, hopefully, you know, I, th- I think that sums yeah. it up nicely and we, get, we went pretty deep at points into the, the exact mechanics and, and kind of nerded out on things. But um, like you say, we'll, we'll follow up with another one in a few months. And Yeah, your body's resilient and your body is not where the fault is. How you're using your body is where the fault is and that's always modifiable. So I think that at the core root of things is like you can always get out of pain. If you are struggling with pain long term, it's because you're not doing the right stuff. Either you haven't been given the right guidance or you're not committing to getting rid of the things that damage you or doing the things you need to do to restore optimal function. We need to, pain indicates a need for change. So we need to change something, but that change might be very multifactorial, right? So so it's like, exactly, we need to to change something. What you're doing right now is not addressing the pain because it's not going away, right? So we need to change it. Um, so anyways, anyway, we hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Hopefully if you're struggling with plantar fasciitis or some form of foot pain, this has given you a little bit, shed a little bit of light on what you need to work on or wrapping your head around why that happens. If you know someone struggling with foot pain, direct them to this podcast. And, and I would be telling you the same thing if it wasn't us recording the podcast it doesn't matter we don't make any money from this podcast but people just need to know this information it's a big missing element in why people are struggling with pain especially at the feet so frequently so hopefully you enjoyed it we'll do another one in i don't know maybe like four or six months and see and then we can look back on this and the one in four or six months from now and see has our viewpoint changed in terms of our guidance Mm -hmm. i really don't think it will but who knows we're we're constantly we're still learning uh, a huge amount as well Um, so anyway, we'll catch you later. Thanks for listening.